the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Thursday, September 23, as we head into our number two, it is a delight to welcome back our good friend Jonathan Tobin. He is a senior contributor to The Federalist. He is the editor-in-chief, JNS.org, and a columnist for The New York Post. His most recent piece in uh, JNS, JNS.org, is on the debate over the Iron Dome, a debate that didn't have to be. He titles it, How a Budget Standoff Demonstrated the Partisan Split Over Israel. There's a lot in this, Jonathan, uh, and thank you for it. Thanks for joining us, old friend. Uh, How are you, buddy? Well, great. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Always a pleasure having you. The story... um, it's more than that, as as the news unfolds, isn't it? Uh, today we heard a Democratic member of the House of Representatives on the floor of the House refer to Israel as a racist and apartheid state. Uh, Jonathan, what's going on here? The Iron Dome is not a phrase a lot of people knew of before uh, maybe the last year or so. It's an entirely defensive mechanism for Israel. Why is this an issue? Yeah, there's kind of a lot to unpack, yeah. uh, you know, in this, in that, on the one hand, what happened this week in Congress was a very typical sort of par- cynical partisan ploy in the course of negotiations over a budget bill. This happens every year, you know, a million times, you know, where each side is trying to catch each other out by throwing things into bills in order to... Uh, make their make their opponents, Republicans or Democrats, look bad. What Nancy Pelosi did this week was to slightly trip herself up while attempting to trip up Republicans. And what happened, um, I think uh, most of our listeners know, there was this big uh, standoff over the budget. The Democrats wanted to, once again, raise the debt ceiling. Um, and in the context of their plans for, you know, trillions more in spending. And the Republicans were saying, the Republicans, who I might add, have at times been profligate themselves with the taxpayers' money. Republicans were saying nothing to it. Mm-hmm. And Pelosi was going to have to pass this on a party, you know, a partisan, uh, narrow party line vote. Um, but then she had thought, well, here's something smart I can do. Let me throw in the funding that the United States gives to the missile defense system that is used by Israel, called the Iron Dome. It's a purely defensive system. It shoots down rockets and missiles that are aimed at civilian territory. And it is fact, not, that's right, it is not used to fire missiles and rockets into enemy or other territory. It is used to shoot down. Yeah. to shoot them down. It was conceived... It's a, it's a ground-based strategic defense initiative, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And it was conceived um, during the, the Bush administration. Um, Israelis thought it up. Bush said, good idea. Obama jumped on it and supported it in a big way because he thought, oh, good, this is a way I can stop Israel from being aggressive mm-hmm. towards, you know, the terrorists in, in Gaza and Lebanon. The thinking being and if Israel can shoot down missiles, it won't need to invade. To, 
to invade right. or do or fire its own. Right. He, yeah. He likes that idea. Right. And you know what? That good for him. It's it's a weapon system that has saved a lot of lives. Just this past May, we saw thousands of rockets fired into Israel. Some because of the sheer volume, some of them fell. Some people were killed. But on the whole, over 95% of them were shot down. Mm-hmm. So this is like a miracle. This mm-hmm. is a great technology. Saving a lot innovation. of Palestinian lives, by the way, too, let me and point out. And saves Palestinian yeah. lives, yeah. both because Arabs live inside of Israel right. and because it also means that Israel doesn't have to go into Gaza and try and knock out these missile launchers. So, okay. So Pelosi thinks she's being smart. I'll put this into this bill that the Republicans hate. They'll either have to vote for it and therefore do what I want, or they'll vote against it and I can say, ha, you yeah. see, you're not really pro-Israel <laughs> right. after all. Right. But she she made a little miscalculation, <laughs> didn't she? Right. Yeah. It turns out. This is, this is like when the suicide bomber blows himself up before he gets there. Yeah. 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 It turns out, although almost every, every Republican but one supports Israel and supports the Iron Dome, yeah. It was a significant portion of her own her own caucus that is against it. Uh, it's the squad. It's AOC. It's Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and frankly, some of their other you know veteran uh, enablers. Um, the left and you know the squad grew in this last Congress, and it has other leftists that are supporting of them. And in the end, Pelosi had to withdraw it from from the from the, the budget bill lest the budget bill be voted down by Democrats. Now, the Democratic leadership, um, the elderly, you know, the octogenarian leadership, you know, Pelosi's 81, Steny Hoyer, the majority leader, is 82, um, you know, all their young leftist, uh, you know, followers there waiting for them to retire or die. Um, But they got tripped up. And just as two years ago when Pelosi refused to censor Ilhan Omar for anti-Semitism and has similarly refused other things. She had to back down to them. Now, since that, the House then acted together to, um, to pass it, set, to pass Iron Dome separately, and it, got, it was overwhelmingly passed this morning. But, but not, not without the what, libels, right? Not without the libels. But not without a debate mm-hmm. in which some members of Congress libeled Israel as an apartheid state, really engaged in the usual anti-Semitic invective, mm-hmm. which even one of their Democratic colleagues, Ted Deutsch, called them out for. Yep. And it also showed, I mean, the bottom line here is that the funding for Iron Dome was not in doubt. There was a majority for it. There are so many pro-Israel Democrats, and the Republicans are almost to a man uh, or woman in favor of it and in favor of support for Israel. But the Democrats are deeply split. And this little kerfuffle, this, as you say, where, where Pelosi tripped over herself, mm-hmm. it showed again how the Democrats are divided over Israel and how that, you know, the, the left-wing uh, caucus, um, you know, we, we like to think, some of us like to think, that AOC and the squad, they're just a bunch of radical loudmouths. They have no influence. But as they have in the past, they proved this week that they have a lot of influence. They can face down the Speaker of the House yeah. when they want to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, that's, and that's, that's the story in a nutshell. And it bodes ill for the Democratic Party. Um, and it's, it's a wake-up call to pro-Israel Democrats, and there are still many of them, that they need to fight for their party. 
and that there that struggle is not necessarily you know just because Steny Hoyer is still you know and, and Nancy Pelosi still have a lot of sway. Um, things are about to change in the Democratic Party, and um, it's not for the better in terms of certainly in terms of their stance on Israel and anti-Semitism, but a whole raft of issues where the left, the hard left is really gaining a lot of traction. And this was just one more instance, and an embarrassing one, which showed how they're doing that. How do progressives who speak out in the name of civil and human rights use language like we saw today on the floor of the House and a little bit, I guess, on Tuesday? How is it that Democrats who speak up on behalf of human and civil rights can use their strongest and most vitriolic language, not for countries that kill homosexuals and not for countries that actually engage in prison camps based on ethnicity. Pick any countries you want. I have at the top of my mind China and Mm -hmm. Iran. But they can use this language for Israel. How do they get away with calling Israel an apartheid state? It's actually very... Simple. It's very under. You know, it, it actually fits in with, I'm sure, an issue on which you have spent a lot of time and which your listeners are very familiar. It's all about intersectionality Good. and critical race theory. Uh, well, that's where because I kind of wanted to go the, with you. Go ahead with that, because you. In, well, let me quote your words to you. They're they're well put. The popularity of intersectional ideology, which falsely identifies the Palestinian war against Israel with the struggle for civil rights in the United States and the influence of critical race theory, similarly misidentifies the Jewish state as a beneficiary of white privilege over people of color. Can I do a quick commercial break, Jonathan, and have you unwrap that for us? Happy to. I would be great. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, Jonathan Tobin is our guest. He is, of course, the senior contributor at The Federalist editor-in-chief at JNS.org, where his most recent piece we're discussing is available, and a columnist for the New York Post. He and I will be right back. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about a new piece of legislation, which one Democratic lawmaker said something very interesting about with regard to a two-state solution for Israel. The lawmaker said something really interesting. He said, only a Palestinian state can guarantee dignity and justice to the Palestinian people without the burdens of occupation, to which a good friend of mine said, occupation? Like in Gaza? There's not a single Jew in Gaza. By that definition, all of the Middle East except Israel is occupied territory. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have Jonathan Tobin with us. He of JNS.org, the Federalist. Uh, well, well, uh, well. Um, I guess I want to say I don't know many writers who write as on men, as many broad topics as you do, Jonathan. I was just going to say a real man of parts. But in any event, we're talking today about the Iron Dome in Israel uh, discussion and debate in Washington D.C. And uh, during the break, I was talking about uh, – before the break, I was talking about why the squad and the progressive left uses their strongest vitriol for Israel while remaining silent about countries that engage in uh, killing homosexuals for being so and 
rounding up and putting in concentration camps people because of their religion. I said I was thinking of Iran and China. Someone during the break emailed me and said, well, or you could be talking about the West Bank if you're discussing homosexual rights as well. That's true, Jonathan. You said this is mm-hmm. about intersectionality and a false understanding of civil rights and critical race theory. Go ahead with that if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, the whole deal with critical race theory, I think we've, we've learned a little bit, those who follow this uh, debate in our country, where it, it's about tearing down our history, and it's also about classifying everybody according to race, in which everyone is either a victim or a victimizer, someone with privilege or without privilege, not based on you know what they do or how they live, but you know who their parents were, what their, the color of their skin is. And when you apply this to foreign policy, it creates this bizarre um, breakdown in which um, countries, you know, uh, like Iran, <laughs> for example, or the Palestinian Authority on, in the West Bank, or Hamas, which runs a Palestinian, an independent Palestinian state in all but name in Gaza, that they are considered people of color and therefore, by definition, are oppressed. And that Israel is somehow classified as having white privilege, and therefore they are the oppressors, irrespective of the fact that Iran is an anti-democratic, you know, is, is a is a, an Islamist, um, anti-democratic tyranny. Uh, same with Hamas, and that Israel is a democracy. Moreover, even by the you know racial definitions yeah. of of the critical race theory people, right. Israel, the majority of Israelis are people whose origins are from the Middle East. Right. They're, they're Jews from, you know, former Arab uh, Arab countries or, or from Iran. And they are people of color. The majority of Jews in Israel are people of color. But they're considered white um, and privileged, just as all white people are considered privileged in this country, no matter how poor they are, in the eyes of critical race theory and of intersectionality. So therefore, people like AOC, people like Rashid they feel free to throw around these epithets and these lies about Israel and to ignore what happens in real tyrannies because of this crazy intersectional critical race way of looking at the world. It turns, it doesn't just, you know, it's not just a lie. It turns everything into, you know, race categories and turns everything upside down. It just, you know, it's like we're looking through the wrong end of the telescope and uh, it, it creates these, you know, these bizarre willingness on the part of people who claim to be speaking for human rights to be excusing the violators of human rights and the victimizers and to be accusing the victims of, of, of terrorism of being actually the bad guys. Um, it, it's, you know, it's a world-turns-upside-down way of looking at things, and it's unfortunately increasingly popular on the left. Well, that, that, that's an important point, increasingly popular. Uh, I think you and I are roughly the same age. You might be a tad, you may have a tad more years on me, I'm not sure. But you will remember the point I'm about to make, which was these headlines, these debates, these stories would be nowhere found in the Democratic Party 30 years ago. They just wouldn't, these kinds well, of statements would not have been found. Yes, socialist bookstores, but that's my point. How far has the socialist effort in America reached into the Democratic Party, unless you disagree with my premise? Well, I I think the Democratic, you know, it used to be, I think both of us grew up in a world in which 
the rest of the world looked at American politics and saw Democrats and Republicans as kind of two shades, you know, they were two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Um, Both were capitalist parties. Both were parties that more or less defended American interests. There were certainly differences um, and, and nuances. Uh, you know, but, you know, you know, it's true. Let's face it. Jack Kennedy ran to the right of Richard Nixon yep. on foreign policy yep. um, in, in 1960. And that wasn't, you know, a lot, you know, that, that, that wasn't, an, you know, an, uh, an outlier kind of thing. Um, what we've seen is a sea change in, in the Democratic Party over the last 50 or 60 years. And with respect to Israel, which is really interesting, the two parties have more or less exchanged identity. Mm. When you go back to the 1960s, you found that the Republicans were kind of split on Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, most didn't care about it, weren't terribly supportive. There were some who were very supportive, but, you know, for the most part, they were either indifferent or some even hostile. The Democrats were more or less a lockstep pro-Israel party yep. back in that era. Yep. Turn, turn around today, and you find the Republicans are the lockstep, other than Thomas Massey of Kentucky, Every single member of the House and the Senate in the Republican caucuses are ardently pro-Israel. Is there is there a canary in the is there a canary in the coal mine about this? Because it always struck me that Israel, in a sense, is a um, is a symbol of at least in the American political mind, the way it's organized, the way it exists, the way our relationship is, the kind of culture that goes on there. It is a version kind of of a mini America. Is it too strong to say it's a canary in the coal mine that your views on Israel are pretty much going to dictate to your views about America? A lot of these people in the Democratic Party view America as a down market, if not outright systematically racist apartheid country. I think that's very true in terms of perception. Now, of course, for those of our our, our listeners who have been to Israel, no, it's not the United States. It's a different country. It has a different language. It has its own culture. It's democratic, it's free, it has many strengths, it's different in some ways, crazy in some ways. But in the eyes of most Americans, and not unnaturally, it is kind of a mini mm-hmm. Because it, it does champion the same values that Americans have always cherished, of democracy and uh, individual, individual rights. Um, and, you know, historian uh, Michael Oren, who also for a time served as Israel, who's born in the United States and served for a time as Israel's ambassador to the United States. When I asked him about this question, uh, about critical race theory and, and Israel, he said it, it's very clear. He said, people who don't like America are not going to like Israel. Right. If Americans stop liking America, right. they're not going to like Israel. Yeah. And I think he's absolutely yeah. right about that. Yeah, yeah. I fear so, too. I fear so, too. Um, and I think the trend is growing. I, I was having a debate with a, a friend about, you know, well, you know, there are certain Democrats you want to still keep giving support to when they do the right thing from time to time. And I said, I have a hard time with that because the silo they belong to is is a silo that is increasingly anti-American. You know, you can say you're different from the rest, but, you know, you're picking the silo well, you it, want to be in. It's a, it's a debate that's going on in that party, and the good guys have been losing yeah. increasingly. That's the whole point about what we're talking about this week. Nicely put, Jonathan Tobin. Thank you for your brain, your pen, and your time. Thanks so much, Steph. It's a pleasure being with you, as always. As always. Talk to you soon.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Dan is in Mesa. Hi, Dan. Where I just quit. Dan, how are you, man? Good. How are you? I am fine. Thank you. So um, I heard you earlier talking about critical race theory and CBS health, and I just quit there because of critical race theory. No kidding. You knew about this as well, obviously, as an employee. Yeah, Yeah. sure did. Um, They started about a year ago with uh, Ibram Kendi. Yeah. Bringing him on as a special speaker for one of their company-wide town halls. Yep. And talking about how you were, you were one of the twenty-five thousand, as I'm as I'm reading it, twenty-five thousand employees of CVS were part of that Kendi lecture. Uh, yep, I was one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, what 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 were your colleagues thinking uh, when when they heard about this? Uh, well, we, well, well, not about it when they went through it. I mean. Did they say, oh, that was interesting? Did they say, okay, time to go back to work? Or did they say, the hell with this? Um, We were all working from home. We weren't really talking about those things. We were busy doing our job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, like I said, this was a town hall. A lot of people don't even listen to the town halls, so they don't know. Okay. Okay. And... uh, you know, I've talked to a few people there about what's going on. Now, this year, they wanted everyone to take a class on uh, conscious inclusion and diversity. Uh-huh. And that was where I drew the line and said, you know, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. not going to participate. Um, I, I had uh, enough of it because with when you work at CVS Health, um, every day when you turn on your computer, their website comes up, and they're constantly talking about um, about anti-racism, about their version of diversity and their version of inclusion, and um, and sorry, I'm a Christian and a conservative, and I believe that God created the world and He only created one race. And that God created human beings, and He only created two sexes. So, Dan, uh, you saying that fifteen years ago, or even ten years ago, would not have been a controversial thing, right? You saying that ten or fifteen years ago, you know, it wouldn't it w- it wouldn't have caused people to go nuts and have you visit with the human resources officer. Is this your experience with CVS, by the way? Let me let me quote you someone, uh, an unnamed worker at CVS, who said after watching and participating in the town hall you did, where Ibram Kendi, let's not put too fine a point on it, what Ibram Kendi said was to be born in the United States is to literally have racist ideas rain on your head consistently and constantly. One CVS employee said, I've worked at CVS a long time and we have never had a problem with discrimination or division. Quite the opposite. People of diverse backgrounds always have pulled together to solve complex problems. Long-term talent will drain, morale will suffer, and resentment will spread. I'm sure the second is true, your testimony to it. How about the first? Was it? Did you ever have racial incidents or see any problem with race at CVS? I'm guessing no, because, right. you know, no. most companies no. try I and comply with, with the Civil Rights Act. Yeah, I've worked with people, you know, one, one of my co-workers um, was an immigrant, from legal immigrant from Nigeria, 
Um, I worked with people from China, a lot of people from India, um, just, you know, Hispanics. We don't care. We, you know, can you do your job? No. <laughs> so, so what these what racialists are doing are, cre- are creating problems to solve problems. You have basic, they, they, you know, you have basic yeah, racial they, equanimity. So it's time to stir up the passions. Right. Yes. They're they're certainly turning each other, turning us against each other. You know, you mentioned the the, the well, we don't have any problems uh, on one of one of their uh, websites. They had uh, they wanted to know what do you think about our diversity efforts in the last year. And they took a poll, and it was supposed to end the end of August, and apparently they didn't get the answers they wanted no. because they never published the results of the poll. <laughs> and, but they asked us for our opinion, and they had a blog site where you could put your opinion, and one person put on pretty much what you were saying, that you know, we don't have any problems. Why are you stirring things up? And he got blasted by another colleague because he was the problem. Yeah, yeah. Where, 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 where evidently they are now telling, thank you for your call, Dan, and, and, and feedback. Listen to the list of things you're not allowed to say at CVS. Really incredible. I'm colorblind. Can't use that. You can't say I grew up poor. Why can't you say I grew up poor? I grew up poor. That's a new one on me. I grew. It's all new to me. Why you can't say I grew up poor? We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Portions of Rich are brought to you by Trades Unlimited for all your roofing needs. Tile, foam, shingle, flat. They're also great at accurately pinpointing leaks in your house as well. If you're in the market for a new roof, a roof inspection, replacement, a repair, or you have a leak, can't find or can't solve, call my friends at Trades Unlimited. They are my friends. I've used them. I've visited with them. I've been to their warehouses. I only endorse companies I use or know people who have used them if it's something like a mortgage company. But in this case, in this case, I have actually used Trades Unlimited, and I love them as much as you will for any roofing needs you may have. Foam, shingle, flat, tile, you name it. They're there for you. A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Give them a call at 480-483-1775 or visit them online at tradesunlimited.com for all or any roofing needs you may have. I was going to, we had a caller, I think it was Aaron, who brought up um, the story that I I got into, which is what's taking place at CVS. Let's not pick on CVS exclusively. I'll report these as I learn about them. But I do want people to understand that this is far more than AOC and Rashida Tlaib and Ayanna Presley and Ilan Omar, who am I leaving out, Cori Bush. Well, the Democratic Party. It's far more than the Democratic Party, which should scare you, because it's far more than the Democratic Party and colleges, which should scare you or concern you. I'm not about scaring. Let's be concerned. It's far more than just about the Democratic Party and our colleges. It's about the Democratic Party and our colleges 
and our high schools. But it's about more than that which should concern you. It's not just about our high schools and colleges and the Democratic Party. It's about our middle schools and our grade schools and even pre-K and nursery schools. If you listen to Ibram Kendi and watch what he's doing with Netflix, that's who they're going for. That's who their new audience is. But it's more than the Democratic Party, colleges and universities and high schools and elementary schools and preschools. It's in corporate America. Corporate America. Big business America. Now what's interesting to me is that they're forcing this kind of intersectional and woke lecturing, racialist lecturing at us at a time when we least need it or they least need it. As the testimony from Dan just just uh, just came to us, which validates the anecdotes that Christopher Rufo reproduces in his piece at the City Journal. There were the, this the CVS was not was not. I don't know what you. I, I can't think of a corporation that's been under fire for racial issues in a long time. But CVS was not. There were no problems there of any note. Everyone was getting along just fine. In a highly multicultural environment and in an extreme environment, who wanted to work at a drugstore last year? Now think about working in a drugstore where they're teaching you your country is racist and you are because you were born here. That should be a violation of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which banned discrimination based on places of national origin, based on your national origin. I want a creative lawmaker to take that up. I want a creative lawmaker and a lawyer and a plaintiff to take that up. And if they won't take it up, then yes, pass a law using the Commerce Clause of the Civil Rights Act. That's what it's there for. Racism, bigotry, it can run in two directions. Unless you are part of the left woke crowd that thinks people of color cannot be racist because they have been victimized by racism and the victim can never be an oppressor, unless you think that way, which is to think nothing of the human condition and to throw away all history, psychology, and sociology, as well as anthropology and political science, unless you think that way, I'm sorry to tell you and break the news to you, but you can be a person of color and a racist. I submit to you right now, that the most prominent racists that we can think of might have names like Farrakhan once in a while. They just might. Now, quick, tell me who's the head of the KKK. Right. Right. Listen to this at CVS. This is I, – I, I'm pretty good at research. I honestly am. I think I'm – Really, one of the best at research, to be honest with you. And I have to tell you, I couldn't find up, find out during the break what was problematic about saying I grew up poor. But under the CPS Abraham Kendi guidelines, employees can no longer use quote-unquote problematic phrases, including I'm colorblind, I grew up poor, peanut gallery, I'm not a racist, and we must stand up for minorities. What is, why, why could you not say, well, here, all these phrases, according to the tra- training program, are racist microaggressions that minimize the existence of systemic racism, have a racist history, and could be seen as discrediting the experiences of black people and their culture. 
The goal of training, the document says, is to create psychological safety for underprivileged and historically oppressed groups that might feel endangered by phrases such as sexual preference, grandfathered in, or off the reservation. I can at least understand where they get the notion off the reservation may be a problem. I I understand that. Is that some form of cultural appropriation to use that phrase? I would hope not, but I at least understand their thinking. It's junk thought, but I get it. I understand the ingredients that go into it. I have no understanding of why you can't say I grew up poor, I'm not a racist, and we must stand up for minorities. It may be in the we must stand up for minorities thing that it's what CVS said, which it says, quote, it could be seen as discrediting the experiences of black people in their culture. I don't know of anyone who would ever use the phrase we must stand up for minorities with the intention of reading blacks out of that, not including blacks. In fact, I would argue that when someone says – I stand up for minorities. The first thought on their mind or someone else's would be, oh, good, African-Americans and Hispanic-Americans, right? That would be the first thought. They're not just changing our language to change our thinking. They're changing what we think of the language. It used to be a perfectly fine thing to say, I'm not a racist, It used to be a perfectly fine thing to say, I'm colorblind. I have a theory on why I grew up poor might be a problem. You know what I think it is? I think I'm right about this. I think it dawned on me. It means you can succeed in America, and we can't have that. I grew up poor in America. I grew up poor. I'm no longer poor. We can't have that. You know why? Because it shows America as a somewhat maybe approaching possible decent place. And, of course, that we cannot have. So is that the fourth or third spot for earphones? It's okay. You can say it on air. Earphones is We're not sure. We had a little technical mishap here. We're good now. Speaking of critical race theory, you know, I have been rereading. Do you ever do this? Do you ever realize there were people you knew about but didn't take seriously enough or spend enough time with them uh, when you were younger? You know who that is for me? It's P.J. O'Rourke. I was aware of his work, obviously. I read things here and there, but I didn't do a deep dive. I, I am now, thanks to my friend Hugh Holman, by the way, who reintroduced me into, into his work, saying, start here with a book called Eat the Rich. Uh, and I was wondering what P.J. O'Rourke was up to. He used to stalk our, our consciences uh, uh, quite, a, quite a lot more than you hear now. Turns out he has a magazine I was unaware of uh, called American Consequences, AmericanConsequences.com. He is the editor of it. He writes columns for it. But they did an interview with him recently. It's just it's on point to our discussion from the previous sec- segment. He was asked, how do you feel about critical race theory or curriculums? potentially or in reality getting politicized for kids. O'Rourke says, first and foremost, it's a terrible distraction and waste of time. You've only got a certain amount of time with kids in two senses. School only goes on for so long and kids' attention spans, even when they're in college, are limited. So on two levels, you have a limited amount of time with a kid as a teacher, and it's paramount to use that time well. Wandering off into the wilderness of political or social theories is a waste of those precious hours. 
Nazi Germany tested critical race theory with absolutely horrifying results. The Chinese are doing it with Muslim Uyghurs. People are individuals. You cannot divide them into arbitrary groups according to hair color, skin color, or religious beliefs. It's poisonous, and the results are disastrous. I couldn't say it better. The only thing, and he says it better than I have, that, um, that, uh, that I notice would be different between us, is he says Nazi Germany tested critical race theory with absolutely horrifying results. I have said when you look at the curricula and statements and ideas coming out of critical race theory, you would have thought they would have ended at Nuremberg. But we're making the same point. We're making the same point. Rashida Tlaib today said Israel is guilty of war crimes which is also a callback to what took place and was answered, we wished, we thought, at Nuremberg. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? It's an interesting thing how these things get weaponized, mostly by dint of lack of knowledge and history. I'm Seth Liebson. Don't go away. The greatest expert on immigration, Mark Krikorian for the Senate, from the Center for Immigration Studies, is in the House. He'll take your calls, too. There's a, is immigration in the news? You bet. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.